trusted, caring adult. Is that you? Are you the one who can make a difference for that one student who's at risk of not coming to school? Knowing that there's something you can do in the face of an overwhelming problem like chronic absenteeism gives me hope, gives teachers hope, and that's what we're talking about this week with your hosts, Shelly, Steve, and me, Stan. At Circle Forum, we respectfully acknowledge that the land on which we gather, work, and learn daily are the treaty and traditional territory of Indigenous peoples. We are grateful for our relationship with the First Nations of this territory, for their care for and teachings about the land, the water, and all our relations. As a settler organization, we're continuing to on our journey to strengthen our understanding of our relationship with Indigenous people, communities, and nations, and, and how to move forward together in a good way. We acknowledge the contributions and accomplishments of all Indigenous people across Turtle Island, current and throughout history. Thanks, Shelley. That was uh, great. It's good to start off with that land acknowledgement, just to sort of set us in a place and a time for this week in particular, as we look at um, absenteeism and what are some of the protective factors that go with absenteeism. We've talked a lot and we've talked in previous weeks about risk factors. And sometimes I find in education, we don't talk enough about the positive, the protective side. We can list all the risk factors, but we often don't talk about the protective factors and the ones that we'd like to talk about, and they'll be listed in the description for the podcast, center around students, families, and schools. And there are protective factors that come from uh, Check and Connect and uh, the Regents of the University of Minnesota. This is a list from 2017. So here are some of the protective factors for students. And then we can talk about how that fits with what we what we understand restorative practice to be and how it fits with absenteeism. Uh, protective factors, students complete, completes the homework, comes to class prepared, has a high locus of control, has a good self-concept, and has expectations for school completions. I think it's great that we are talking about protective factors because it's really easy to focus on what's not going well for a, a student and it's easy to overlook the protective factors or where the strengths may lay that we can draw on um, and we start to focus on how we need to fix the risk factors or discipline the risk what's going on. So it's, it's a great place to start and it really changes the conversation when you start to look at protective factors first. And if we're having a student with uh, attendance issues, okay, we know that is the concern, but let's talk about the protective factors and start our conversation there. Yeah, I agree. It, it's really looking at the strength-based approach. Um, regardless of all the variables that may affect a child and the reasons for them maybe struggling in school or absenteeism and whatnot, every child, everybody has some strengths. Everybody has something we can build on. So let's start looking at what are those strengths and let's start to build on those. Um, you know, I recall years ago, and I think I've shared this story, but a student that I had who had transferred, changed schools over 20 times, and she was only in grade eight, and yet she had so many strengths in terms of her attitude towards school and her work ethic, that if we just kept focusing on that, and we didn't worry about all the school changes and all those things, she was very successful because she had a lot of the resiliency factors that we want in every child. How she got those, I don't know doesn't matter the point is she had them and so we could build on that we didn't worry about all the those negative influences that may have you know set her off in the rails every once in a while so it really it's a strength-based approach and I think it's great and I think all of these things speak to like 
we've had lots of conversations, certainly in schools, about self-regulation. And it speaks to a whole area of skills that you need to be able to learn, right? And uh, the idea of, you know, coming to class prepared. Well, that's not something that everybody can just do. Um, that's something that someone can learn how to do. That's the other thing that I really like about these things is that it's not a finite look, either you have it or you don't. This is something that you can actually grow in. It has some of that uh, emotional intelligence kind of uh, aspect to it as well. When you talk about strengths and things like completing homework, coming to class, those are skills. And we often talk and it's, it's, to me, it's also an area of reporting that is um, undervalued, I think, in education, and that is learning skills, like the things that you need in order to be able to learn well, this fits onto that list as well. It's not ex exclusive to uh, learning skills, but this definitely fits on there. The learning skills are the, the skills that get us through life when things get tough not what mark we got in a particular subject then those are for me those are always the ones i was more concerned about for my children on the report cards yes you want them to do well because it can lead to other things but if they can't connect with people and they can't manage in situations they're going to struggle no matter how brilliant they may be yeah and and the other thing with that list is i mean it's broken up by the student and the family and it's also got the school and We've often talked about, we talked about in a previous podcast about teachers saying, well, I don't have control over a lot of those things. You're right. You don't have a control over some things, but you do have a lot of control over some things. And when we look at the things about all the positive factors that the school can bring, those are things that teachers do have control over. That positive school environment, um, being that that one caring adult that, that the students go towards, a fair discipline policy. Those are things that teachers and administrators and school staff have control over and we can create those and live those and those will help that those students along. And so, no, we can't control the family dynamic and what goes on in the weekends and in the summers and all those things, but we can control what happens within our walls. And so we really need to, to say, what is it we can do? And let's do those things as, as best we possibly can. And that will help the, the students who may have a lot of negative uh, variables that they do struggle with. We can overcome those. But what I do see on this list under family are things like academic support for learning, availability of educational resources. So again, if a family doesn't have those or know where to ask for them, um, that is something we can support with. We can't maybe make them use them, but we're just assuming that there's no desire for those things. When maybe it is really, I just don't know where to get it. Oh, I didn't know I could go to the library and have free internet, or I didn't know I could tap into this resource. And, and so it's not from a lack of wanting it. It's a lack of knowing where to get it. And so this would, this would move something, this would move something out of my area of control to something in my area of influence, because I certainly in conversations with parents and parent teacher conferences could talk about things like, uh, is there a place where uh, your child can can do the homework because it seems that homework completion isn't something that's happening. It's something that's, uh, you know, if that's in place, you're, it can help your child do really well at school. What, what kinds of things are you doing? You know, what, what kind of resources are available? Um, and, and do you even check, right? Uh, and what does checking look like? Because if checking looks like, have you practiced piano for 30 minutes? I'm not in as a parent because after a while, I just got tired of that kind of thing. So let's talk about 
what's working or what's not working or what, what that could be like um, as children get older too. So what you're doing there, Stan, is you're talking about how you would ask those questions. Right. So what, what kind of things do you guys do at your home to support homework completion? Rather than homework's not getting completed, what's going on there? Or why, why aren't you helping them? Like it's all again in the question to make me want to either share with you that I'm struggling with helping them do their homework or that I don't have any routines in place, or maybe I have the best routine in place and the student's not responding for other reasons. Just by asking a question a certain way makes me want to open up to you as opposed to put on the defenses that I'm not sharing with you anyway, because clearly you're critical of me. Yeah, and, and just to build on what Stan was saying, you know, we see these factors that families can have that affect students, you know, um, availability of educational resources, academic support for learning and so on and so forth. In some communities and in some families, that's easy. It's there. You know, the, the mom and dad sit down with the kids at night and they help them with their homework. They're all around the kitchen table, whatever. Those kind of things have are there. But for a lot of kids in some communities, they're not there. And so if we as a school or a school community recognize that those things are not there to support families, what can we do about that? And so, you know, I, I worked in a board that, that we had uh, programs in place to help support parents to support their students. Uh, we recognized that a lot of parents didn't have the educational resources even they even needed for their own purposes, let alone to help them support. So we did a lot of workshops, evening workshops for parents on how to help them support their own children in the school process and how to how to set up for homework how to um, get extra help when they need it and where, who do you call and where are these numbers and you know a lot of parents can't afford to send their kids to tutoring programs if they need to a lot of parents can but for the ones that can't how can we create something that's similar to that so that students can get the support they need after school homework clubs you know not every kid's going to go to it and but a lot of parents would say hey if it's there my kid will be there because I can't help them with homework at home. It's, it's beyond my ability. But if you can set up an afternoon school homework club, I'll pick them up at five o'clock. I can do that. And, you, you know, you can get that extra help. So, you know, there's a lot of things that schools can do in areas, as you say, Stan, there, it's beyond our control, but it's, it's within our sphere of influence. And we can do those things if we really put our mind to it and say, you know, this is what kids need. And by asking some of the right questions, you're going to get some information. And when we pick the whole concept of homework, which that could be another whole podcast in itself, and what age is that appropriate? Is it appropriate for younger students to have homework on top of what they're doing during the day, that sort of thing. But I can remember it was a grade two student who had a lot of mental health struggles, OCD, um, as well as a number of other things. And we sat in a meeting with this mom and, you know, the professionals all around the table. And this mom described to us what homework looked like in her home. And I finally said, why are we asking, like it was hours for this grade two student to, for mom to manage all the other mental health pieces that were going on to learn her spelling words. That, and nobody had any clue that that was happening for that mom, right? Or that child who is all day trying to keep it together at school. So having, you know, that conversation, then finally like take homework off the table for this child and parent 
this does not need to happen in this child's world with all the other things that they're trying to manage right there. And then, you know, we've got parents feeling bad about not completing it. And then the student, it's just all behavior. So asking the questions can help you as a professional decide, really, is this something we need to be going after right now? Or is it? Reminded me of a story of a, of a family that, that doing homework at, at night at home was, it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, for all sorts of reasons, it just never happened. It hadn't happened for years and it was beating a dead horse. So it was about finding a, a different way to do it. So do we give the, do we do an after school homework club? And finally we decided, why are we giving this kid, these kids homework anyway? And so it brought up that whole question that people are still debating. What's the value of homework and should kids be doing hour after hour after hour of homework when they're in grade three and four and five, or should we just get the work done at school, let them go home and run, you know, run outside and get fresh air and be kids and go play hockey. But it reminded me of this family that I did work with where we just finally said, let's just, we're not even giving these kids homework, give them the work, get as much done as we can at school every day and leave it at that because we're just causing, we're causing more trauma at home by demanding homework than we're solving. So now you can start to imagine the impact that COVID shutdowns in 2020 start to have on these protective factors, because now not only is it not actually homework, because everybody's home. So it's all the work is there. And now as a parent, I'm trying to work myself, keep my job and try to stay on top of this. Like, oh my goodness, like it's no wonder family after family has said, we're just going to check out. Mm -hmm. We're simply not going to be involved with school at all for six months, a year, maybe even longer. It's interesting too, because we, and I want to just get back to something you said uh, earlier that we talked about earlier about, about things that we can actually do something about things that are within our circle of control as educators and look at those school factors and whether it's um, online or whether it's face-to-face or if it's hybrid, those kinds of things can really, really contribute to um, student success, not only in school, but I think in, in life, as you mentioned earlier, Shelley, like an orderly school environment is something that I have some control of. Uh, committed caring teachers, fair discipline policies, relationships with one caring adult, opportunities for participation. That sounds very restorative. It does. It, it does. does. You know, <laughs> we should we should talk about this as part of restorative practices. Hey, I <laughs> think that's what we're that's doing. What we're doing. That's, that's what right. we're doing, Steve. There and, you go. And and the thing that I would actually translate this as too is that while it's a school, what about just classroom? You know, like that I can, whether it's online or face to face, that I have an orderly classroom and that I have fair discipline policies within, and we've talked about firm and fair, right? That we have those things within uh, the classroom and that there is a connection with me as the educator, as a caring adult, and that students have opportunities for participation. I mean, this is a really, really restorative list. And these are, these are protective factors. Let's not forget that's on the list of what protects kids in their attendance and their success at school. And it, it relates to all the, what we talk about, the proactive side of restorative as opposed to the reactive side. You know, these are things that if, they, if they're there right from day one and year after year for children in school, um, they're, you know, the success is there 
for the taking. I mean, you know, the kids love coming to school. It's what I was talking about earlier. Um, you know, if we create an environment where kids are really, there's something there for kids that they can't get anywhere else, they're going to want to come to that school. And there's your attendance and absenteeism situation being taken care of right there. When kids want to come to school, um, the absenteeism, it, it drops and then their friends want to be there with them. And it, it, has, it has this snowball effect. And a lot of it has to do with all those restorative proactive restorative pieces that are in that list so um, it's the cure-all but it's not easy work to, uh, we know that it'll have a huge effect on a lot of kids and, and them wanting to be at school so you can do something it's absolutely part of what the restorative practices is all about so let's get to some really practical suggestions what's one thing you'd suggest in terms of my practice as an educator that comes out of our conversation today. You know, as much as I know about restorative, we all know about restorative. If I was still in the classroom and, you know, even when I was still working and, you know, even working last year as a principal, um, it's that constant reflection. Am I still doing this? Am I still doing this? It's like, I always had the questions on the wall, even though I've been doing restorative practices for 20 years, I always had the questions there because I had to constantly reflect. Did I ask everything correctly? And am I going in the right order? So as much as, we're practitioners of restorative practices, having that list and going through it every so often and reflecting on my practice. Am I still, are kids all being allowed to participate? What have I done today? Let me think about how I'm still making, ensuring that that's happening. Is my discipline still fair and firm and fair? So constant reflection, even though we, we know it's all there, we got to keep checking to make sure we're keeping it. It's all, all there. And I would say, I mean, Steve hit on a lot of points there for sure, but the, the firm, but fair, because people sometimes think orderly means, you know, little soldiers all sitting in a row and nobody speaks, et cetera. That's not what orderly means. There's order to it, but it's still, people feel safe there and they, they know it's firm, but there's a fairness there. So reviewing the social discipline window and, and having a look where you sit there and that knowing that, you can be firm and have high expectations, but you can give a lot of support to, to meet those expectations. And that hits on all those school points. And I love how you've actually turned uh, each of those things, Steve, into a reflective question. Is my school environment orderly? Am I a committed, caring teacher? Are my fair discipline, pol- are my discipline policies fair? Do I have a relationship with my students as, and am I the caring adult? And are there opportunities for t- participation? That would be all part of Steve's 16 things that he, no, it's only, it's only five or six, Steve. You can have as many as you want. Okay. Um, who's counting, but there's actually six. And uh, <laughs> the one thing that I would add would be, think about the questions you ask parents that are within your sphere of influence, because the way you ask the questions can really, really affect the relationship that you have. And connections now between what we've talked about and student attendance and engagement, which is our theme for this season. Well, we know whether you're a student or an employee, if you don't have a place that you want to go to, you're not going to go. And uh, and so that is, you know, the connection to absenteeism. Children don't want to be there depending on their age. They'll find some way out of that, whether that be behavior or just not going. And that extends to the family. If they don't feel they want their child there or that they're welcome, then that's not going to support their child's attendance. Focusing on those positive attributes that as soon as students realize that you're looking at them from an asset approach as opposed to a negative loss approach, 
they're going to feel better about themselves. And if they feel better about themselves, Shelly, it's the same as what we said. They're going to feel they want to come to school. And I would just add that this is amazing already. There's not that much to add. So just add one little thing that you can do something. You can be that caring adult. And while you may not be able to change these protective factors, you can enhance them through your connection with students. Maybe you haven't thought of yourself as a protective factor, yet you are. And for that one student that you're thinking about right now, you are a trusted, caring adult. And if you don't have someone in mind right now, why not send us an email to talk about this further? And you could be that trust, caring adult. Drop us an email to stan at restorative.ca and let's keep the conversation going.